This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. And I thought of all those good friends of mine, senior journos who I really respect, who said to me after the Sam Newman mannequin incident, oh, it shouldn't have happened, but you shouldn't have written an article about it. You carried on too much or you behaved like a princess. It has affected me more deeply now than it did at the time. I was absolutely moved. I was appalled. I was stunned, Caro. Absolutely. I was speechless, really. I suspect we're going to have the same answer here, but what's your favourite French dish? Steak tartare. <laughs> Me too. I love the lazy lynx feel of those beautiful lynx courses in Scotland and Ireland and so on. And I just kind of emerged from that going, I need some drama. I need some women. <laughs> but I will be getting, as mum would say, a little man out to help me remove the grass from my gutters. How does grass get up there, Caro? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, everyone. This is episode 181. And although we might be locked down and low in spirits, today we are travelling to France. Travelling to France for a bit of imaginative travel, just like we did a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Italy um, and we encourage all our potties to join us. Uh, join in, let us know via email or Instagram or Facebook where in France you've travelled to and where you have loved. And then, Caro Wilson, we can take everybody away on the Caro and Corrie 2023 Don't Shoot the Messenger Tour of France. Hello, Caro. Ready for that trip? Boy, you buried the lead there, Corrie. We're going to France in real life. Wouldn't that be a dream come true? It was funny. I started thinking and I looked at all your questions and I started making a list and there's no way I can keep it down to, you know, top three, but we'll do our best. Well, you can have a, have more time on this one than myself. I've only been to France a few times and it's pretty much been isolated to Paris. And I know that you've travelled around a fair bit. So we will talk about that later. We will also uh, be talking, Caro has a French-inspired book. We're going to be discussing together a terrific new series on the ABC. And thank you to our show sponsors. Every week we are joined by the wonderful team at Red Energy. We love your support, guys. Thanks so much again for joining us with the podcast and, of course, Prince Wine Store, and Miles will be along later with the cocktail cabinet. But firstly, housekeeping, apologies, correspondence, all of that stuff. Sadly, guys, we had to cancel our live podcast event, which was scheduled for tonight, our time. We're recording this on Thursday morning. Of course, a full refund is available to everybody. Caro, that was very sad. Do you think the boys from the sounding board got the yips and decided they couldn't possibly face us on a stage for a mashup? <laughs> well, I don't think, um, what, what were we calling it? Don't shoot the sounding board. I don't think the sounding board audience um, came came to the party, to be honest, Corrie. I thought our wonderful audience were very enthusiastic. Theirs weren't. I think Hutchie and um, Damo were more keen on doing it at a pub, which you and I would be very happy to do. They felt it was going to be an away game for them. They didn't want to wear the white shorts. Let's face it, um, they wimped it. 
Well, it was very sad, but look, we do have plans, Potties, to get together with Craig Hutchison and Damien Barrett, our friends and colleagues on our other sister or dare I say brother podcast, The Sounding Board. So just watch out for that. That will be coming up later in the year. Caro, any correspondence or apologies on your part? Um, look, I don't think I need to apologise for anything this week, although when I, I think about it, I'll come to it. I did um, enjoy hearing from our friend Gina Ferguson, who has en enjoyed all the Dry July hints. Good on you, Gina. You do Dry July every year, I think, and you do it for a very good cause. So I'm glad we were able to help you. Banks Botanicals um, loved their feature on our podcast, Corrie, with Miles from Prince Wine, and um, agrees it's a perfect drink when in your trackies, especially in lockdown. And Sputnik's mum said it's been an absolute joy to um, have us both keeping her company in her car on the back roads of Tasmania today. Unfamiliar radio stations in the hire car are no substitute. I could not agree more with that. And Juliana Claridge via Insta, camellias and no alcohol in gorgeous bottles. Good lockdown combo. Oh, there you go. Good on you, Juliana. Very Martha Stewart of you. That, yeah, so, that's, um, that's, that's referring to Jane's lovely photo that appeared on Instagram of those beautiful camellias that um, we stress Jane is no longer thieving from the neighbourhood because she has a brand new garden herself. So she's not, she's not walking the burbs, snipping off your camellias, everyone. Don't worry. Oh, look, honestly, they were absolutely beautiful. And if only we were sitting in the studio today. But hopefully we will be next week, Corrie. And um, people, a lot of people, a lot of feedback on the Julia Banks interview too. And, um, you know, I just, I can't believe the timing of that interview and obviously her book coming out. And we mentioned Ms. Represented last week, but what an extraordinary show Annabelle Crabb has put together on the ABC on Tuesday nights. Yeah, Cara, I'm a huge fan of this show. If people haven't seen it, we've had two episodes thus far. I'm not sure how many are in the series, but it's really looking at uh, the the history of women's involvement in federal parliament and uh, raising particular issues with each episode. The first episode, Caro, I found so interesting about Australia's way forward at the turn of the last century, allowing women, it happened in South Australia, of course, giving women the vote and at the same time, the right to stand for parliament, which took years and years, of course, to come to fruition before there was a female in federal or state parliament. But the history and the setup of this series is fabulous. But what did you think of this week's episode? Oh, it, look, it, it made me cry. It, it was, I, I watched me it. Um, the well, it, it really moved me. I found it so shocking and so just seeing it all laid bare again. I mean, you're right about week one, that story of that I think British woman, I think she was a Welsh woman who tried to get into the Sydney Parliament and then in the end became a local councillor and how she just kept being knocked back and knocked back and knocked back and eventually um, lost pre-selection to John Howard um, was really disappointing. But the stories that culminated on Tuesday night with the Brittany Higgins speech outside Parliament and all those women listening, some of whom have been a bit disappointing, I've got to say, some of those politicians, but all of them looking so moved. I found it, I found it extraordinary and I'm so disappointed that every male politician and every member of Parliament and every member of the Cabinet was not there to listen. But Oh, my Lord. And, and, you know, it's so good because she talks to people from all sides of politics. 
So you've got, you know, Amanda Vanstone sort of yeah, rolling her eyes. And... Yeah. I don't know whether you saw um, there was a rather snippy article in The Australian, I can't recall who read it this week, or who wrote it this week, uh, criticising Annabel Crabb because of the lack of Liberal and indeed National Party uh, talent on the show. Well, there is an issue with the National Party because, of course, there aren't that many women, <laughs> as we know, um, represented because of their various pre-selection uh, um, programs. But there was Bronwyn Not Bishop. So There's heaps of Julie Bishop. There's heaps of Amanda uh, Vanstone. I disagree and, uh, with and that. Our, and our wonderful, our wonderful friend who I used to be on the Hawthorne Advisory Board with, the Hawthorne Footy Club Advisory Board, Senator Judith Troth, who is a wonderful wonderful contributor to the Liberal Party over many years. And um, Cara... And obviously Julia Banks too. Julia and Julia Banks, Julia. exactly right. But uh, Cara, I was moved. Uh, uh, my tears, I had two moments. One when I, I was really choked up, Sarah Hanson-Young discussing with Annabelle her confrontations in the Senate with Corey Bernardi and also uh, Senator Lionhelm. And... Uh, they replayed a couple of one one speech in particular, one of her passionate outbursts about uh, how she was being treated, and slut shamed, and so on. And it has affected me more deeply now than it did at the time. At the time, I thought this is shocking, this is appalling. Read more about it. But now, with the hindsight that we have, particularly generated by Brittany Higgins, and also our conversation last week with Julia Banks and other uh, revelations that's been happening in federal parliament. I was uh, I was absolutely moved. I was appalled. I was I was stunned, Caro. I, I was stunned. Absolutely. I, I was speechless, really. Yeah, and to hear her describe it in such um, detail and to see her responses on camera as it happened in real time. Um, you know, it's funny, Corrie, I, I sat there and I realised... Um, I walked um, the next day with our friend Trudy and she said, um, those those sort of things must have happened to you all the time. And I was about to say no. And then I went, that is exactly what happened to me. That is exactly, exactly that happened over on a telephone call with um, a player manager. Again, completely inaccurate, name, listing names of all these men in football and male journalists completely inaccurately claiming, you know, that well, trying to shame me. And, and I remember sitting on the other end of the phone just thinking, I can't believe this is happening. I can't, and I'd, I'd just forgotten about it. I think I'd blanked it out in my brain. And, you know, and, and then the other, the other really horrifying, well, it was, it was just as bad in a way because he allowed it to happen when Tony Abbott made that speech outside Parliament in front of those horrible placards about Julia Gillard calling her the Wicked Witch, etc., etc., and um, the bitch and the witch. And I thought of all those, you know, good friends of mine, senior journos who I really respect, who said to me after the Sam Newman mannequin incident, you know, oh, it was good, it was, you know, it shouldn't have happened, but you shouldn't have written an article about it. You shouldn't have written that article. And, you know, they said it publicly or um, you carried on too much or you behaved like a princess or you made too big a deal out of it. And I thought, look, you know, it, it's, I suppose it happens everywhere. But I think it really, it suddenly reminded me of a lot of things that happened to me. And I dare I say, like we saw with the Annabelle show, Corrie, not that long ago, not that long ago. 
not that long ago and Sarah Hansen Young when she was talking about these incidences where she all of this alleged behavior has swirled around her career because as she says I'm single I'm young and uh, therefore fodder for a lot of the older men in particular but she talks about if you do react or respond uh, somehow the chaps the offending chaps get in the gap there and and try and and see your weakness, see your response and try and make something out of it. Like, oh, she's responded, she, she must be guilty. And then if you don't respond as a way of shutting it down, Sarah Hansen-Young also made the comment that that is not a good way to go about it either because you're not being true to yourself. Caro, one of the really interesting uh, comments last night was made by Penny Young, uh, Penny Wong, sorry, uh, the Labor senator, and uh, Annabelle Crabb asked her, well, when the ditch, when when Tony Abbott appeared in front of that ditch the bitch sign and the and Julie Gillard's famous misogyny speech and so on, but leading up to the sexism that occurred once Australia had its first female prime minister, Annabelle Crabb asked Penny Wong, would you have played it any differently? And Penny Wong said it's one of her great regrets that if she had her time again, she would have called it out earlier. And a lot of the yep. gang who she refers to as the handbag hit squad, um, they took a decision to be strategic and tactical about how the opposition was playing the, the woman in this case. But in fact, what they should have done now, she realises, is called it out and absolutely exposed it for the sexism that it is. Yeah, I, I think um, that was very moving to see her admit that. And she's absolutely right. I can understand why they didn't. And, um, you know, and, and again, I'm sorry to keep bringing it back to me, but I, it really, it really, um, it really, as I said, it really resonated with me and it really hit home. And I remembered after that mannequin incident, not one person at the age came to me and spoke to me about it for a week. Like no one mentioned it. No one said, are you okay? No one sort of said it was terrible. Um, a week after it happened, or even longer maybe, um, I think, or maybe it was a week, Sam Lane, who's a friend of mine, rang me up and said, oh, look, I'm, you know, I've decided I want to write a column about this. And she did write a column and the age gave it a big run. But, you know, she, and she apologised that she hadn't said anything to me in the week that had followed, you know, even though, you know, other commentators had rung me and, you know, senior AFL people and obviously, you know, people at Channel 9 were very concerned and there were all these meetings. But, you know, nobody mentioned it, which is just, you know, and, and then when, um, when the drowning stuff happened, people took me to task on 3AW where I worked for not having said anything straight away, like why didn't I complain about it? So it's very difficult to know how to attack these things and I think it's pretty easy to get it wrong whatever you do but um you know and I, I sort of got the hint from Amanda Van, Vanstone I don't know about you where she said she was pretty scathing about Tony Abbott she's he virtually called him a not a nice piece of work who's probably a misogynist but was she sort of saying you've just got a man up and take it did you get that impression that that's what she was saying I did, I did a bit and I also I, I kind of got that impression a bit from Bronwyn Bishop although Bronwyn bless her she's such a uh, a resilient and focused woman and I reckon she would have been uh, a formidable parliamentarian if you'd been up against her but Bronwyn Bishop also made a similar sort of uh, comment and and said that 
you've got to really stand up and, and kind of call it out. If a man pinches your idea, which happens so often, I found that quite a funny uh, a funny moment actually when all the women interviewed talked about the number of times men steal their ideas and don't give them credit. And Bronwyn Bishop's response to that was uh, something like, oh, well, I'm so glad you agree with me then. I'm so glad that you see that I have come up with a great idea. And she said, you've just got to be constantly on message about your right to be there in the House or in the Senate. And, um, yeah, it was it was very interesting to for all of this to play out in hindsight. And as we know, Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins has handed down the first part of her uh, findings in her independent inquiry into Parliament House culture. We have to wait. For November, till November, Caro, for the full report. I find it an extraordinarily and weird long timing in this whole thing. But as Kate did say in an interview earlier this week, women, women are increasingly, an increasing number of women are coming forward and an increasing number of parliamentary women, parliamentarians are coming forward, which I guess is making her workload, um, you know, even even greater. So uh, we've got that to look forward to, I guess. Um, great show anyway, isn't it? And it's a fantastic name, don't you think, misrepresented? Absolutely. And um, it's, it's, it, it's sort of like high drama, really. It's more like a the, the way the story is told, it's been brilliantly edited. So um, we'll have to get Annabelle, our friend Annabelle, on the show, Corrie, and, you know, delve more into behind the scenes, what it was like making it once um, once this show is finished. And I really hope that um, the Kate Jenkins inquiry actually makes a difference. But, um, you know, that doesn't always happen. So I hope it does in this case. Now, Caro, we are off to France. Bonjour, bonjour, uh, mes amis. And it, it is a bit of a belated Bastille Day celebration for us. I acknowledge that. But uh, we were inspired last week when we were talking to Miles about different wines. And we thought, well, if we do a, a French wine in the cocktail cabinet, why don't we actually just extend the mix a bit because we've got nothing else to do because we're all in lockdown, to think about France and to wonder, will there ever be a time when we can travel again to that most beautiful part of the world? As I said, I've been about four or five times to France, but I've never done the huge exploration of it with the exception of a fabulous road trip. And I'll go first, Carol, because I know you have a very long list. Um, flying into Lyon and staying there for a couple of nights, having the best bouillabaisse I've ever had in my life, and then spending a couple of days driving up to Paris, staying, uh, well, the main reason for this trip was to visit Bernard Loiseau's hotel in Salieu in Burgundy, which was fantastic, and the highlight was the dinner. That was a highlight. I think Lyon is beautiful and, of course, um, lots of adventures in Paris. But what, uh, which places in France have you really loved to visit? Oh well, yeah, you're right. Look, it is it is a long list, but um, I can and I've and we've travelled around a fair bit of France over the years, from when I was in my twenties, you know, with um uh, with my mum, um with friends, with um Brendan more recently with the kids. But the ap absolute highlights would have to be, I suppose, um Enfleur, which is in Normandy, and that whole beautiful area of Normandy. Which um, and, and Brittany as well, but that is just one of the great road trips. And of course, you can go to Utah Beach and Omaha Beach, and um, you know, obviously go to all the war memorials, which are incredibly moving. But um, that old that fish market at Enfleur Corrie, one of the great shopping experiences, 
and um, the Luberon area in the south of France, which is probably closer to Aix-en-Provence, which is one of my favourite towns in the world. But the little village of Cucuron, I would highly recommend um, a very good year or a good year was a terrible film with Russell Crowe, actually. But um, oh, that was that filmed was a in... shocker film. That was well, just it was terrible. Fil- it was filmed in the village of Cucuron there where there was a giant sort of inland um, pool. In, that, that is instead of a village square. Absolutely beautiful. And and then of look and of course um, the Saint Paul de Vence, which you fly into Nice to go to, and the beautiful Column d'Or Hotel with all the famous artwork, um, a great terrace to have lunch on, and twenty five minute walk away is the Maitre found or the M A E G H T Foundation, a beautiful gallery overlooking that whole area of Aix-en-Provence, which um, was set up by Henri Malraux and is just absolutely beautiful. So. There are a few places, and 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 one of the, and the village of Sarlat, which is in the um, down in the in the bottom of France again, where they made the um, Manon Manon de Source, the, that French film, a lot a lot of beautiful films there. But um, that that whole the Dordogne area is just absolutely stunning. So there are so many places I would love to go back to. So many places I haven't been to. And um, I plan to go to all of them, Corrie, at some point. But I think that area of Lang- Languedoc, I think is how you pronounce Lang- it. Langu- that- Languedoc, yeah. Yes, um, that's somewhere I haven't been. So that's on my to-do list. Yeah, I was, getting- um, I was inspired. After asking you this question yesterday, where would you love to go? I then started to think about um, where would I like to go. And Caro, and, you, and potties can actually find this online, I'm sure. Year, a couple of years ago, there was this great Condé Nast Traveller article uh, titled an, Autumn, an Autumnal Road Trip Through Alsace Wine Country. And we've talked a bit about the Alsace with Miles. And, you know, me, I love a really good Riesling. And, of course, that's well known as a Riesling area. And, and until... Uh, the end of World War II, it used to be part of Germany. But this journalist caught the train from Paris to Strasbourg, which on the fast train, I think is about an hour and a half, and then explored the banks of the Rhine River, the little villages, um, the little town of Colmar, which has those colourful timber houses, which uh, somebody pointed out to me um, a couple of years ago, I think was the setting for Beauty and the Beast, the movie. Um, oh, so really? that's yep. where I would love to go and explore that really wonderful Alsace-Lorraine area and that gorgeous food, uh, you know, lovely, I don't know, German-inspired, I, I suppose, but with a French twist. So that's where I'd like to go. But what about Paris, Karen? Let's it just is. get on to the gorgeous girl herself. What? What? There are so many things that people can do in Paris, and I'm sure people listening who have been there have their very own list of things. Every time they go, they do the same thing. And I have three things that I do the same thing, and um, and I'm sure you do too. I mean, the list would be longer. But the first thing that I always love to do is go to Notre Dame, which, of course, two years after the fire carol is still not open. Um but I feel that Notre Dame, it is one of the architectural wonders of the world. 
It was built in the 12th, 13th century. It just gives you such a sense of place, history and beauty and spirituality. And then the other one, also a, a, a spiritual home, is the Musée d'Orsay, those beautiful, um, that beautiful collection of Impressionist paintings. And then the third one, you kind of got me thinking about this last time I went to Paris and we stayed there and, and just loved it for about a week and a half, the Marais. Yeah, it's a fabulous area, isn't it? And if you, the minute you get there, walk to the Place de Vosges and um, order a coupe, one of those nice little champagnes, and you're in that, Paris, I reckon. That's... <laughs> Speaking of champagne, the fourth tip you also gave me, which was to go to Galerie Lafayette, I can't remember which level, but you said go there and in between your shopping, have time out at the champagne bar, which we did, and we toasted you. <laughs> oh, that that is it's it's sort of on the um it's sort of on a sort of a concord well it, it's between floors isn't it it's like a mezzanine yes, floor mezzanine it is on the second and, and third floor something I can't remember where yeah you, and you look down all over all the beautiful shopping and up at the incredible chandelier no great tips the the Sizzlies and the Van Goghs and the Surahs at the Musée d'Orsay and then um, having a cuppa under that giant clock is one of the great experiences I reckon. No, you've you've um you've nailed it, Corrie. They're all very good. I would also just wander around the back streets of Saint Paul, which is a lovely little area near the Marais, opposite um on the way down to the river. Um, and the other the, the other one I love is wandering through the the arcades or the passages, which have all been you know most of them are seventeenth or even earlier eight, certainly eighteenth seventeenth century. The Vivian and Choiseur are two of them. But those beautiful arcades that wind through the, you know, low number arrondissements like the second and the third. But, the, the, I mean, you know, there's the thing about Paris is the minute you get there, you're there. You know, you don't have to look for it. It presents no, itself it's um, very quickly. The, the, other, the other one, and I, we did it last time and I will always do this and I always said I would and finally did it. May organise tickets to the ballet at the opera. Um, it is just one of the great experiences and one of the great one of the great places to watch ballet. I did that with um, my mum and my two daughters on Christmas Eve. In fact, a few years ago, one of the great nights of my life. So, yeah, there's um, there's plenty to do. But you know, the thing about Paris is, Corrie, there is so you talked about. You flew into which airport, Lyon, the other time? Mm, Lyon. Which you can actually yeah, do well, directly I mean, you, you Emirates. Can... So you can fly from, sorry, um, if you take Emirates, you can fly directly from Dubai, or at least you used to be able to, into Lyon, which if people are looking for an option to arriving in a very crowded airport at a very busy time of the day, the Lyon airport is actually a great solution to that. Yep, and I would say the same about Nice. I wouldn't say the same about Marseille, but if you want to have a good ball of bays, that's the place to have it as well. So um, the airport's a bit of a nightmare, but um, oh look, it's just the most beautiful country. And as I said, that Dordogne area where the, all the rivers sort of, the confluence of all those rivers and these hidden little towns, you know, where you just go and find a perfect little bar or a perfect little restaurant. I don't know how they do it in France, but you pull in off the side of the road, even to like a, a roadhouse, and they seem to have this incredibly long menu and everything is there. And the cheese trolleys, Corrie, and the, and the pastries, oh, they're a, a wonderful, wonderful country. 
it's a well pity, if you remember um, if you remember that scene in Julie and Julia the movie uh the flashback scene with Meryl Streep as Julia Child and Stanley Tucci as her husband Paul and they arrive they they arrive across the channel and they're driving through that part of France and their lunchtime spot is at a little place just as you're describing a no-name place and she has um, from memory I think it's a fillet of sole just beautifully pan fried with a bit of butter and Meryl Streep's response (laughs) in true Julia Child voice and that's when according to Julia Child's autobiography, that's when she fell in love with French food. How could the butter be so beautiful and how could such a simple recipe be so delicious? And that set her off on a lifetime of investigation. Believe it or not, we've eaten at that restaurant. Um, it's in Normandy oh, and it's really? um, oh, it's it's um, Rouen, R-O-U-E-N, and um, there's a big, you know, Joan of Arc, dreadful Joan of Arc tribute, in fact, because... Um, that was where um, terrible things happened to poor old Joan, but uh, Saint Joan. But um, yeah, we went to that restaurant. It's still there, very historic and a perfect place to make a film. Now, um, I suspect we're going to have the same answer here. But what's your favourite French dish? Steak tartare. Yeah, I knew. <laughs> me too. Favourite French do you restaurant and I order in Melbourne. If we go to Francois or Bistro Thierry, you know, in the old days when you could go out to exactly. restaurants. You and I always order the same thing. Why are we surprised? They, they do do rabbit very well too, the old French. And um, well, I'll just say one thing. I hope Paris hasn't been too, you know, there's been so many terrible things happen in Paris politically over the last sort of, well, decade or more that um, I, I hope I don't find it much changed when I do go back there. Now, what about your favourite French restaurant in Melbourne, I mean? Oh, well, I'd have to say next to us at the bookshop in Malvern Road is Bistro Thierry, and so they have been our neighbours for 12 years. But even before then, I always enjoyed going there. And then, of course, uh, Francois in Turek Road, South Yarra, uh, just recently celebrated, was it 30 years or 35 years or some incredibly long time? Um, Amazing. And so they're kind of two south of the Yarras, very local in my hood. What about you? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I also really like that new one in Cremorne. I think it's called Fredericks, um, yes. which is absolutely wonderful. But I'd, Miss Troteri would be my number one, definitely. Uh, I hate to be boring, but, you know, every it, it's always packed. There's a reason why it's so successful. The food's fabulous. Um, COVID has meant, meant that at the moment they don't have their wonderful two course and a glass of wine lunch deal, but I'm sure that will come back, Corrie. And um, what about your favourite French film? Well, I'm not um, I'm not such a big fan. Of, well, I shouldn't say big fan. I don't do the festivals, the French festivals, like you do, Caro. Uh, the one that kind of comes to mind over the years, I mean, anything that Gérard Depardieu was in in the 80s and 90s, I always used to go and see. But um, I did, and I did, oh, I did do together. remember, was it, um, oh, God, what was the name of that? Was it Emily? Emily? With Audrey Tattoo? Yes, yep. And she was the little was um, Paris waitress who, you know, had a bit of magic about her and everybody's lives, everybody, you know, she touched all these people's lives and changed them. So I'm just going to have to say, Call My Agent on Netflix, which Carol and I have talked about potties on this podcast 
last year during lockdown, but it is a French four-series journey about a Paris talent firm where the agents, three in particular, Matthias, Gabriel, and I can't remember the other one's name. Is it Andrea? Um, They have to uh, deal with all of these high-flying actor talents and also the fact that their business is under siege. It's hilarious. It's beautifully beautifully filmed. Don't you just love Call My Agent? I wish they'd make a fifth fifth series. Well, particularly at the moment, although we're, we're, it's good we've got the Olympics to keep us going at the moment too, but um, I loved it. I think historically my favourite um, film about French history would be Robespierre, which actually also starred Gerard Depardieu. Um, but my favourite French film ever was Day for Night, which is, um, oh, look, it was directed by Francois Truffaut, who is one of the great directors of all time, starring Jack- Jacqueline Bisset. It won the... Um, Best foreign film at the Oscars, I think, oh, back in the 70s. I saw it at the old Dendi Malvern. It is, it's a film about the making of a film. And the film, it, the film they're making is called Meet Pamela, a very sort of, oh, a bit of a melodrama, melodrama really. But I highly recommend Fran- uh, Francois Truffaut's Day for Night. And you can go back even further to Children of Paradise, Les Enfants de Paradis, which is just a, a wonderful and terribly sad beautiful film I, I you know I, I reckon French filmmaking I'm not sure if they're going through an absolute heyday at the moment but over the 60s 70s and 80s I don't think there was much better yeah I agree with you there I, I, I don't know that may explain why I haven't drifted down to one of the local cinemas when they've had a French festival I don't know um, but while we're on all things France Caro let's have a drink with Miles Thompson And now it's time, Caro, for the cocktail cabinet, our favourite time of the week because we get to have a drink with Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Hello, Miles. Hello. How are we all? Well, we're in desperate need of a drink, I would suggest, during lockdown. We're very, we're very happy as much as we loved the banks and all those lovely botanicals last week that we're actually going back to alcohol this week, to be honest, Miles. Thank, thank goodness. <laughs> Hey, Carol, aren't you glad that you didn't do Dry July with the lockdown? Well, I'm no, I'm not really, Corrie, because I did it last year during the lockdown and it's a lot easier to do it during a lockdown. But anyway, maybe we'll, I'll think of something that works in August at this point. I'm not quite sure. Um, Miles, we've been uh, travelling around France today in our little camper van and we just wondered whether you might join us for a few kilometres and take us to one of your favourite destinations, maybe one of your one of the French wines or wine regions that you particularly love. Well, I, I'm I'm going to go with Provence, and I know there'd, there'd been some chatter, and I, I've been to Provence a couple of times and hung out in Nice and around there, and this little town called Cap d'Isle, and yeah, I have a real soft spot for Provence, and I actually. And it's most famous for rosé. Um, that's pretty much almost exclusively what they do. They do make some whites and reds. But, yeah, I and I'm also a huge rosé fan as well. So Brilliant. You're me. talking my language. <laughs> How, the, quite apart from anything else, Miles, the bottles they have, they're so... There's a little um, wine shop in um, St. Paul de Vence where you walk down these very steep steps and there's a very handsome man who runs it. 
and it, they're also beautiful to look at. It's like a work of art. Yeah, they have a um, not everyone bottles with the special bottles, but they have these kind of I don't know how to describe them tulip sort of style bottles that are very pretty. Yeah, and it's very and it's traditional for for Provence. You don't really see it anywhere else in the country, and it does make it distinctive. Um, there are some wines. In Australia, and they have the, that big sort of bottom end on them as well. Often you see them like that. Yeah. And I want to hear what Miles, what he recommends and what we can go and buy at Prince of the Rosé variety. Yeah. So, look, I, I picked one of my favourites, and, and it's a sort of perennial favourite as well. Um, it's called Domaine Le Fuchs, Cuvée Tradition Provence Rosé. Can you spell that, please, yeah. Domaine, and what of the course. next bit? So, Le Fuchs. So, F-O-U-Q-U-E-S. Thank I'm you. sure I'm saying it wrong, but um, that's it's called Le Fuchs. That's what we're doing. <laughs> um, and it's look, fabulous. it's that real classic Provence, that sort of what they call that salmon colour, or sometimes they call it onion skin, that sort of slightly more pale pink, which a lot of Aussie rosés are definitely going that way. We've moved away from those really sort of fruity styles. And the nice thing about the Provence rosés is they have a lovely element of texture to them they have a bit of weight they have a bit of punch um as well as those lovely sort of you know red fruit and spicy sort of really kind of minerally spicy note and they're fantastic food wines i'm a i'm a uh, i really think they're some of the most versatile food wines that you can really drink to be honest um Corrie, you've I, never you, really we're, really we're really come to rosé have you sorry cara say that again Corrie, you've never really, really come around to rosés, have you, or have you? I haven't, Caro, because I have found them often, as I said, a, a little bit like lolly water, a bit, a bit, a bit limp, a bit lame. But this one, Miles, this Domaine La Fougue, sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's a wonderful wine. I, I really like. It. We get it every year. We, 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 we're a big fan. So, and every time we try it, we always think it's such a fantastic little wine. So tell us about each time we talk about rosé, you talk about mm-hmm. when it arrives and when it comes in and then it seems to disappear very quickly. What um, at what time of year do you receive your the bulk of your uh, rosé stock, particularly from Provence, yeah. I guess? Well, look, it, it's sort of at a point now these days where we just see it all through the year and, and people are sort of drinking it much more, much more broadly throughout the year. Um, but look, often, look, it's, it's a funny one because it's sort of, I guess we work opposite to, to the Northern Hemisphere as far as the sort of wine producing countries and France and Italy and that. So we see it come in all the time and there's a few specialist producers that bring in a whole heap. So we, we sort of don't run out of it. We have it all year we tend, as, it, as it tends to be, which is great because I'm happily drink it all through winter as well. Back in the 80s when I actually lived in Europe for a few years, based in London, um, going over to Provence when the miles when the Beaujolais would arrive, eh, oh, oh, yeah, okay. my accent is so bad, and the excitement it was like it was a massive sort of cause of um, local celebration when the new Beaujolais and and you had to sort of drink it straight away would arrive. Yeah, bo- and I should, as you know, go on, Miles. Sorry, but it's yeah. that, that was always a great drop. Yeah, I've I've never been there before. But it sounds like a lot of fun. The Beaujolais Nouveau, which is um, yeah, a lot of the producers make them. It's like first press. It's only a few months old, really sort of bright and fresh and juicy. Um, so I think for us, it sort of you see that around maybe maybe September, um, 
because it's sort of just after after sort of harvest there, so um, sort of runs a bit opposite. Um, but we don't see much in the country, unfortunately. It's it's a really very much a localized sort of thing. You see it in France, and and unless you're sort of local there or maybe the UK and stuff, you, we don't see it much here in Australia. The Beaujolais Nouveau. So, Miles, let's talk Turkey. Let's talk money. Uh, the Domaine Lafouque. What are what is Prince Wine Store selling it for? Uh, and what is it, what's the special offer for our messengers? Yeah, so it, uh, it's thirty three dollars a bottle, and for the um, don't shoot the messengers listeners, you get ten percent off um, when you apply the code M E S in your cart when you're on the Prince One Store website. So, and we've got plenty in stock, um, and uh, so it's ready to go. So, if you're keen to try a classic Provence rosé, definitely definitely give this a go. Fantastic. And Miles, uh, we also must thank you and Prince Wine Store for making available these passes each week for our competition, the Prince Wine Store Introductory Wine Course. We've had yes. so much correspondence, Miles. We could actually go into business here and start up our own <laughs> Don't Shoot the Messenger wine course, I reckon. Something for um, something for after I've closed the bookshop because I'll be so bored. But our winners this week, um, they, uh, each of our uh, participants have been asked to write some a little memory of, of, of wine. And Nancy Orlett has told us a lovely story of when she and her daughter Francesca went on a study tour to the Asoli islands just north of Sicily where mm. Nancy's parents had been born and she talks she has a lovely story there about drinking the local wines a fabulously locally produced uh, dessert wine known as Malvasia I don't know whether you've ever had it but um, that's a lovely story Nancy thank you that's such a gorgeous memory that you shared and the other one is uh, the, the other winner is Viv McWaters who says, bicycles, tents, itinerary, all sorted, 14 of us plus the only hire car available as a support vehicle, descended on King Island's only store in Curry. I've been there, dare I say, Miles, to stock up on the essentials, cheese, salami, and, of course, wine. And mm. Viv recalls that in the specials bin, they unearthed some bottles of red wine at amazingly inexpensive prices, and they had such a wonderful time. Thanks, Viv, for that lovely story. Thank you to everyone who's entered our uh, competition. Miss Jane will be in touch and the Prince Wine Store gang about how you can attend the introductory wine course. Miles, Carol and I do really want to thank you and the gang at Prince Wine Store for making that terrific course available to our gang. I often teach those courses, so you'll uh, you'll see me for a couple of nights if, uh, when you come along too, so that'll be fun. Oh, we're totally making you a celebrity, aren't we? <laughs> it's great. I love it. No one's come up to me in the street yet, but they don't know what I look like. So, <laughs> Anna yeah. from the op shop was in London, Miles, and she was um, visiting Churchill's War Museum, Winston Churchill's War Museum, and she was talking to her husband and somebody turned around and said to her, are you Anna from the op shop? <laughs> it's a funny one. I was actually in um, Germany looking at, uh, in, in Berlin and just looking at the parts of the wall and I had two people come up to me and they go, do you look at Prince Weinstall? I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so it does happen. It really, it really is a very small world. It's not a cliche. It is indeed. It is indeed. I don't know about you, Corrie, but I'm going to order half a dozen of those Domaine Le Fouque and I will make you enjoy it. 
<laughs> well, you, I'm very happy to be made. Um, I might even buy a couple of bottles myself. I think next time we get together for Scrabble, Cara, we might open one of those bottles. Miles, thank you very much. We look forward, hopefully, to seeing you in person in the studio next week. Can't wait Me to too. hear what the topic's going to be. And everybody, don't forget Prince Wine Store here in Melbourne. Uh, just such wonderful uh, wine knowledge. And, um, yes, they employ Miles, and you can get to chat to him because he's fast <laughs> Coming a celebrity. Come in and see me. Caro, it's crush oh. time and you have a crush. Oh, well, it's pretty simple today, Corrie. Can I go back to a sport? Can I go back? Of <laughs> Just course. Let's go back complete. to the real world. It doesn't have to be French. Well, yeah, I, I, there are so many wonderful French men and women, usually in the world of design and acting for me, Corrie. But um, look, can I just be a bit Aussie, Aussie, Aussie and say Samantha Kerr? She is yeah. an absolute superstar. <laughs> Isn't she just fabulous? She is and as, such a good soccer player. She is, and she's internationally, she's the, she's the best in the world. She's the best footballer of the round ball variety that Australia has ever produced. Her brother, of course, um, is a West Coast Eagles premiership player, Daniel Kerr, but that has got nothing to do with Samantha in this um this is just one of the great stories and what she did for Australia, kicking off our Olympics campaign with the Matildas on Wednesday night was absolutely wonderful, Corrie. And um, it's good to go to the opening ceremony with a, a ceremony with a win under our belt. So um, Sam Kerr, her sporting brilliance, her brilliance across several sports, what she has done for the football game in Australia and around the world She's just an absolute superstar and she's such a great sport. And when she won the big international awards, she always makes the most wonderful speeches. And I'm not, I don't pretend to know heaps about soccer, but what about that smile? She's just fabulous. Well, Caro, I should have been watching your most excellent football show on Channel 9, but I did watch the Matildas play on Wednesday night and uh, it was thrilling. They're a wonderful bunch of women. They're talented. Their their smiles, their energy, and their and their complete team spirit is really inspiring. So I hope they go a long way. Go girls, go! That's a great crush. I'm on board with you on that one. And thank you, Red Energy, a hundred percent Australian electricity and gas, for supporting not only Crush of the Week but also our little podcast. Caro, it's um, time for Book Screen Food BSF, and. I can't imagine, I think your French, your schoolgirl French is probably as good as mine, so I can't imagine you tackled a, a, a novel in French, but have you been French-inspired <laughs> in your reading? The, the last book I did in French in Year 12, I think, was um, L'Etranger and um, The Outsider by Albert Camus, and I'm not, I did not tackle that again. I wasn't in an existentialist mood. This is one of my favourite books of the last decade, and it's called All the Light We Cannot See. I'm sure you've read it. I'm sure your bookshop yes. sold dozens of copies by, is it Anthony Durr? Is that how you pronounce it? Anthony Durr, I understand, is how he pronounces it. Oh, how's my pronunciations? I tell you what, I'm found out every week on this show. Anyway, a beautiful story set in World War II, partly in France, partly in Paris, in a gallery, partly mm. in um, uh, Mont Saint-Michel, is it? Yes, where, that's um, right. Where the, the, the film, the film, the story book comes to its absolute climax and partly in Germany um, as a young German boy is growing up as Nazism is taking over his town and um, 
he becomes obsessed with um, creating a radio. And what happens, oh, look, it is just the most beautiful story and the relationship he builds up with um, the daughter of the curator at the gallery who is blind and how that plays out as World War II. Oh, look, it's just, it is just the most wonderful, wonderful novel. It's beautiful. It made me cry. Um, it's a story of art. It's a story of technology and it's a story of humanity. And um, I, and, it, and it, it just, you know, because so much of it is said in Germany as well, it really gives you an insight of what it must have been like to being a young man and having to go to war at a time when um, Hitler was um, trying to take over the world. So that is my book, Corrie. I highly it is a recommend good, it. It's a really good book club book. And some people are often put off by the size of it. And we always say it's a book of many small chapters. So, in fact, it bounces along very easily. I think it's actually, that's a great choice for lockdown, to be honest, when some sometimes our attention spans are not as they should be or we're suffering from a bit of anxiety. That's a great choice. I love that book. Um, so on to screen, and I binged this. I watched the first episode on Sunday night and then I binged it. Uh, I did fall asleep, not because it was boring, but I did have a moment where I missed a bit of, seri of of the third episode and had to go back the next night. But it's Innocent on the ABC, 8.30 on Sunday nights. Did you catch it? I've um, I've done a bit of binging myself, Corrie, but I'm only up to the third episode. I've absolutely loved it. Um, there, this is the second series of Innocent. Um, the first series involved an entirely different set of characters, um, but it's a great show. And again, um, like the first series in which the accused who is um, let out of prison is a man this, um, the main character in this one is, of course, a woman. She's been accused of murdering one of her students who she's also been accused of having an rela inappropriate relationship with. Um, they, like the first series, this show is very much, isn't it, as much about what it's like to get out of jail and try and return to your old life when your old life has been taken away from you. Well, that's, that's exactly right. There are two streams in this. In, in this show, and I enjoyed it too. Four four episodes in it. I loved the I loved the the main character Catherine Kelly is played by the rather beautiful Sally Wright, um, a terrific English actress. And Catherine Kelly, it starts off that she is acquitted of this uh, murder during a retrial, and she wants to go home to her lovely Lakes District village to clear her name, to resume her job as a school teacher and to pick up the pieces of her life. Her husband has divorced her and he is on the verge of remarrying, so she has to deal with that. But Catherine Kelly is a wise woman and she's quite uh, she's come to terms with that to a certain point. And she's also come to terms with the fact that the village is going to be pretty uh, um divided on her returns but but that doesn't take away from the drama of what it's like to come back into society Kara so you've got that stream of that, that human side if you like and then you've got the murder mystery and DCI Braithwaite played by Sean Dooley his backstory is terrific and sad uh, and then you've got the kind of that well who 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 killed the 16 year old boy so i love those those two parallel narratives 
I um well, I mean, obviously you've seen it all, and I don't know whether in fact she was the murderer in the end, or was it his father or his real father? I mean, there's so many things I I don't know, but um, it's going to be fascinating to um get to the end, and I'm sure. You're not going to tell me what they are, but I'm sure there are a few more twists and turns to come. Well, lots of red herrings, and I hope everybody enjoys it. And if, like Carol and I, you do want to binge it, you can watch it on ABC iView or, as I said, on Sunday nights at 8.30. That is innocent. You need to space things out, Corrie. You need to enjoy these things. It's, we, might, we might be locked down for a long time. <laughs> don't well, don't blow all your innocence on one night. Yeah, well, I was coming out of a long kind of four days of the British Open, which I have to say, Carol, I love watching uh, the British Open. I love the commentators. I love the lazy links feel of those beautiful those beautiful links courses in Scotland and Ireland and so on. And, then, and of course, husband Pete is pretty obsessed by the British Open. And I just I kind of emerged it. from that going, I need some drama. I need some women. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Now, is your um, recipe, does it have a French feel? It does. And this is fabulous, easy and accessible. On Sunday night, which is often the case in our house, we we will have a soup and salad rather than a big kind of meal. And so I made vichyssoise with – I had a couple of red capsicums in the fridge, so I I sliced them and grilled them in the oven until they kind of blistered and then took the skin off and put everything in the whizzer, the legs, the potatoes, all of that. Gosh, it was delicious. That was a great recipe invented by moi – but the salad component, I went to Jamie Oliver. And if you go on to jamieoliver.com and just type in Rockford salad, R-O-Q-U-E-F-O-R-T, Rockford salad with warm croutons and lardons, uh, which are is French, you know, you know, kind of bacon ham inspired. Uh, it, this is such a great recipe, Carol. It is so easy. It is so delicious. And um, it's... It, Talking with Miles last week, Caro, about when you use good quality wine in food, I think that also goes, as my mother used to say, always spend money on good meat. And so I went to a very expensive butcher and picked up um, some of this smoked bacon, rind removed, of course, and you fry all that up in the fry pan with a bit of olive oil and cut cut the bacon into chunks, and uh, it, then you put in some um, old bread, sourdough bread, or whatever you've got to make in some little croutons, and then um, you put uh, extra virgin olive oil, red wine vinegar, and Dijon mustard, sea salt, and black pepper, and give that a good shake. So there's your dressing, and then once all that's ready, it's pretty easy to get it together. Put your salad leaves on on a plate. Um, with radicchio, Caro, you know how radicchio has that lovely uh, cup shape or bowl shape naturally? Yes. I, I, I had some yesterday little... with my tuna salad, funnily enough, Corrie. I started getting a bit creative and actually created a very pretty dish because I put all of the ingredients inside that radicchio leaf, so a little bit like a sunshoy bao. But um, but with the um, the with some greens, so I had some watercress there and a little bit of rocket. So I cut that up all finely, stuck it in the middle of the radicchio leaf, and walnut halves, 
and fresh chives and whatever else I found in the little herb pots outside and the Rockford cheese. Don't compromise anyone. Don't just go for regular blue cheese, even though we love um, Cape Patterson blue cheese and all those different Australian ones. Get the Rockford because, again, spend a bit of money on the terrific ingredients and then you pour the dressing over. Carol, it was so delicious. I, I I wish I'd just made a big batch and I'd be still eating it all week. Absolute winner of a recipe, guys, whether you wanted to have it as an entree or a Sunday night meal or as an accompaniment to a nice bit of steak, it's perfect. I'm going to do that. It sounds lovely. I've got to take you to task about the um, red capsicum in the Vicky Soise, though. I mean, Vicky Soise is meant to be a beautiful, pale, creamy, greeny colour. And, and it's also meant to be served cold, strictly speaking, <laughs> or chilled. I've got some red peppers in my fridge. I'm going to do, the, do them in my tomato soup because it does make a tomato soup look more red. And I did that recipe a few weeks ago, but um, I'm sure it tasted good. And that rocket, so that, that Jamie Oliver recipe will be on our show notes, yeah? It will be. I will send it to Miss Jane and uh, and and really highly, highly recommend it. And I just want to say about red wine vinegar. I know everybody in recent times, the last twenty years or so, balsamic has been the go-to, but I've been using quite a bit of red wine vinegar lately, and it's just it just brings a, a it's such a lovely taste to your salads. I'm a real fan of it. And they sell it in really beautiful big bottles at Mediterranean wholesalers. And once you finish with it, you can use it for lemon cordial. Anyway, yet another, yet another way of um, making lemon cordial. Um, I'll, I will say thank you for that lovely BSF segment, Corrie, which you largely carried. That was for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Remember, guys, call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy and the Melbourne-based team will help you out. Um, I end BSF, Corrie, because today, again, for the third week in a row, you are grumpy. Mm, yeah, I'd like to uh, – there's so many things to be grumpy about again when you're in lockdown, but uh, I am a bit grumpy about criticisms of the Queensland Premier Anastasia, Anastasia Palaszczuk for going to Tokyo. Now, as we know, Brisbane has been awarded – the 2032 Olympic Games, which is fantastic news, and I'm thrilled, excited beyond. That's such great news. But there has been a lot of criticism in the media and social media in the last few days whether the Premier was right to make the visit to Tokyo. And News Limited reporters in Brisbane and in Tokyo are suggesting that, in fact, it was not a lay-down Mazaire that Brisbane had this bid in the bag, and that the presence of the Premier and also Brisbane's Lord Mayor Adrian Schrinner certainly assisted their cause. And as Anastasia Palaszczuk said on uh, in one interview, the Japanese do like to, to see you. And, uh, and I think it was important that she met some of the Olympic officials that she hasn't had the chance to see in recent years. She will, of course, quarantine. And uh, and I understand, I completely understand. I, in fact, I'm a victim of this myself, of families who can't um, be reunited because people are overseas, loved ones are overseas, people can't travel. But my feeling is that the economic and the social and not to mention the sport, Caro, and also the emotional benefits it brings to Queensland and to Australia over the next few years, I think that does far outweigh criticisms of this trip at this time. Do you agree Corrie, with me? 
We are in furious agreement. I couldn't believe the carry-on. To say she's taking a quarantine spot for someone else, she's the Premier of Queensland, for heaven's sake. I mean, quite apart from anything else, yes, it looked like Brisbane was a lay-down mazare, but as Jack Magnay, our old friend and journo, said the other day on The Offsiders, they might have decided, because of COVID and because other countries or cities hadn't got their act together to defer the vote for a year. I mean, there was a very, very small chance that might have happened. And that and, and that might have happened had she not been there. Why shouldn't she be there to celebrate? One person in quarantine is not going to make a huge amount of change for people trying to get back into Australia. And if our premiers can't live to a slightly higher set of rules because they are running the state in such an important time, I don't know who can. I thought it was really mean-spirited. A very good grumpy. Well done. I've really, I've really rattled your cage there, Dal. <laughs> we, well, it's it's rare we're in such furious agreement, but we really are today. Well, let's get on to six quick questions for Red Energy. And uh, why don't you kick it off? Oh, I can't believe you've got a Bunnings question here. <laughs> it's Bunnings DIY July. What home improvement do you wish you'd tackled this month? <laughs> well, we, I, I say this, Carol, because watching the MasterChef finale, which every night completely glued, there was a lot of Bunning. It's Bunnings DIY July. And I thought, what a great campaign. Like Dry July, we do DIY July. And I made a little list of things that I would like to do at home. And then, of course, lockdown came. So it's very difficult to get the the either the tradespeople you want or indeed going to Bunnings or wherever to pick up the appliances because don't you find every time you need a job done at home you need a new something a yeah, new and hammer and I find a- click and collect really <laughs> annoying it's just you need to be there to look at it I reckon you, you want to see which size nails you need let's face it but Caro I have an, an alarming problem at home we have growing in our gutters grass now, don't ask me how it got up there. You know, bees, you've been busy spreading seed, love your work, but why my gutters? And it's just getting worse, and I'm terrified there's going to be an almighty storm. I haven't got to my gutters, and there's going to be a flood. So as soon as this lockdown is over I'm and my postponed DIY July, I'm stressing I'm not getting up on the ladder myself because nobody should do that if they're not professional. That is a very silly thing to do, but I will be getting as mum would say, a little man out to help me remove the grass from my gutters. How does grass get up there, Caro? Well, clearly seeds. It's like that house we walk by when we often do our coastal walks and it's got agapanthus growing out of its gutters. Seeds fly around, unfortunately. I would get on to that. But, yeah, gutters are something that I tend to handball to other people too. I think that's a very good idea. Now, Caro, uh, what should Alistair Clarkson do next year? He should have a year off. I'm not sure that will happen. I'm not sure where it's going to go as we sit here today. But um, I think Alistair Clarkson should come to a deal with Hawthorne where they pay him out over a series of years, maybe um, mitigated with a couple of other things. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But I think in an ideal world, if it could work out, he would do a little bit of media, he'd do a little bit of public speaking, he'd do a little bit of study and come back the following year a significantly more relaxed, 
you know, because he's had a year off and he deserves it individual. His son's doing VCE next year, as we keep hearing, and it's good not to be, he obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, can't coach interstate as a result or outside of Victoria. So um, that's what I think he should do, but I'm still not ruling out him coaching Carlton or, in fact, staying at Hawthorne at this stage. If anybody deserves a year off, it's Clarko. Now, Corrie, what is a suspended coffee and why do you want it to come to Melbourne? Well, if you were watching the Stanley Tucci Most Excellent Searching for Italy, Caro, which I've talked about quite a lot on the podcast, oh, you, you would have seen You need to get over this Stanley Tucci. Oh, my, oh my God. I just have such a crush on Stanley. But in his first episode, he is in Naples and he is talking about the crime and poverty situation in Naples with a policeman. And they're walking down the street and the policeman stops at a coffee spot and orders um, while they're chatting, which I'm kind of loving the interview and the fact that the policeman's ordering the coffee, he asks for due cafe e, e uno, uno cafe sospeso. And Stanley translates that as two coffees and a suspended coffee. And he says, well, these are the two coffees for us. Thank you, Mr. Policeman. But what is the suspended co coffee? And the tradition, Caro, in Naples is that when a customer pays for one more coffee, uh, that coffee is donated. It's seen as a charitable act to be given to somebody who can't afford to buy a coffee. So the person who cannot afford the coffee simply approaches all whichever coffee sellers, and apparently most of them in Naples are on board with this, and says, do you have any sospeso available? And the cafe owner can go, ah, nah, there are none on the ledger. Or they go, yes, here is your here is your suspeso. Isn't that a fantastic idea? It's a, <clears throat> it is a lovely idea. And I think um, if I – I was thinking the other day, if I put aside – the money I spend on coffee every time I feel like a cup of coffee, I reckon after six months I'd be able to go to um, Scanlon Theodore and buy a dress. <laughs> you might even be able to go to Paris. Oh, I, I wouldn't go that far. I would not go that far. Now, Corrie, oh no, you're asking me a question now. Sorry. I am. Should, should There are now, I think, 80 or 85 cases of COVID in the Olympic Village with authorities saying they, they expect more. Should the Olympics be going ahead? Oh, look, this is such a difficult question, isn't it? Um, from a selfish point of view, yes. Um, from the point of view of all those athletes who've had to wait an extra year, who may be at their last Olympics or their first Olympics, whose Olympic campaign has been totally curtailed, I just think it would be too heartbreaking not to hold it now. I know it won't be the same without audiences. I think it's weird that you can go to the baseball in Japan um, in front of a crowd but not the Olympics. Um, I just think it's going to be so nice to have the swimming back on telly in a couple of days, Corrie. Is that ridiculous? And I, like, I want to see some of our young athletes, track and field athletes, actually show their wares. So, yes, they should be going ahead and I really hope they can. I really hope they can. Um, but I realise that it's not looking great. Um, Corrie, knitting or crochet? Um, I used to crochet when I was a child. I made an Afghan rug for my bed, so I'm pretty good at it. And I've decided that um, when I close the bookshop, I'm going to resume crocheting. I did flirt with knitting 
And in fact, my mum, before she died, only a few months before she died, we talked about how she was going to teach me how to cast on and cast off because all my life, whenever I've knitted something, I've had to run around to mums to get her to cast me off. Yes, um, and I had, a, I had an absolutely darling customer, Geraldine Lazarus, and Jerry was one of my favourite customers at the bookshop. She sadly died of cancer last year and we have actually named our annual book club talk from an author as the Jerry Lazarus talk in her honour. But she was a great knitter. She used to go on knitting expeditions, Caro. She and a group of girlfriends would meet in England or um, Denmark or they'd, they'd go knitting around the world. They had so much fun. But now I've lost Jerry I, and I've lost my mum. I've lost the knitting urge, so I'm going to take up crochet. So you might end up with a little Afghan Afghan booties for baby Sunday. Maybe I could give that a go. <laughs> I was going through my cupboards the other day and I found a black and yellow crocheted rug that a 3AW, a wonderful 3AW listener sent me when Clementine was born. So do you reckon, I, reckon I'll get out the tiger's rug again? You can, I'll show it to you, Corrie, and maybe you can do a Hawthorne one. Well, well, no, I'd like to do nicer colour. Uh, you know, no offence, but I'm the first to say it. My club colours are foul. Um, no, I'd rather do something in, in some nice, um, you know, Scandi um, faded colours, Caro. But off I go on the crochet journey. A final question, me to you. Oh, it was so sad to read that David, David Leckie had died. What's your funniest or most poignant David Leckie memory? <laughs> he was one of the great characters of Australian television, wasn't he? Um so many, so many memories at Channel 9, um, you know, so many memories at Channel 7 where he finished up and obviously, you know, very sad for Sky and his three sons. But, Corey, I, I met him a few times because um, there were members of my family who were friends with David Leckie and I met him at TV show launches in, in Melbourne and in Sydney. But the weirdest moment I had with David Leckie was when I saw him at the Wallara Hotel in Sydney one night and we said hello to each other and um, he started asking me about Jim Wilson and, uh, you know, who, of course, journo, football journo at one time, sportscaster, and um, how he was going. And I said, oh, look, he's, he's good, I think, but I haven't seen him for a while. And he said, oh, well, that's unusual because he's your brother. And I said, no, he's not. He goes, yes, he is. We argued for 10 <laughs> minutes. I said, David, I think I would know if Jim Wilson was my... He said, no, 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 I'm sure he's your brother. I'm, I'm, I know this to be true. <laughs> it was just a very funny and weird conversation, but particularly because he refused to accept that it wasn't true. And um, we do occasionally call each other. He does call me sis as a bit of a joke, Jim Wilson. And um, his beautiful um, late sister, Beck, used to do the same thing. But <laughs> he wouldn't I believe he wasn't my brother. Yeah, that, yeah he, he ain't heavy. He's not my brother. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, Barlow, Carol, David Leckie. Episode. I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, to, that we haven't been in person. Um, I think our producer, Jane Neald, is a truly wonder woman, the way she gets us together during lockdowns. Uh, but I do miss being in the studio with you, my friend. I haven't seen you for uh, quite a few days and um, probably a few days more the way we're going. But look. Let's be optimistic. Um, thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and, of course, our dear friends at the Prince Wine Store here in Melbourne. 
Don't forget to order up with them. And thanks again to Miles for coming in today. Everyone, you can connect with us and we want to hear you. We want to hear from you. We want your Instagram comments. We want your Facebook comments. And if you want to Twitter, you can. And you can get our show notes delivered into your inbox each week. Just hit the sign up button on the Facebook page or in our show notes. And if all of that's a bit confusing, you can send us an email and it's at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. If you like our podcast, don't forget to give us a couple of stars or maybe even five might be nice on the Apple iTunes How to Vote Caro and Corey as the best podcasters in Australia. That would be fun. That would be fun, Caro. It would be wonderful, Corrie. And um, I'm confident too that we will get together in the studio very soon and I'm looking forward to having a walk with you over the weekend. Me too. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger.